Uh, today, in part six with Holy Spirit Friendship, here's the question that I have, and I'm going to try to answer this question. The question is this. Why doesn't everybody in this church who I've been preaching to for the past six weeks about hearing from God, how come everybody in here isn't meeting with God every day? Now, I assume that most of you are. I assume that I'd say 80% of you are. But I don't believe in my spirit that every person in here is actually meeting with the creator of the universe every day. Why is that? My first thought was maybe, there's, maybe we're lazy. Maybe that's the case. Maybe we're undisciplined. But that's not it. Because we do things that we want to do. If, if, if we want to go hang out with a friend, we go hang out with that friend. If we want to watch something on TV, we will drive 70 miles an hour just to get there. And if we, don't, if we can't record it. And if we did record it, we're going to make sure we watch it because we want to do it. We do things we want to do. So why doesn't everybody in here want to meet with God every single day? I think the answer is, is because we don't have a high enough price of value on sitting and listening to God. We think things like, oh, if I do it, nothing's going to change. It's just, you know, something spiritual to do. Nothing's really going to change in my life. Uh, we may think, well, if I meet with God, He's going to want to talk to me about the really bad things that I did yesterday or in my past, and I don't feel like hearing from that right now. That's thoughts that we have. Those are lies, but those are thoughts that we have. Um, I can tell by the way people treat other people that they're not meeting with God daily. I can tell by the, some of the things we put on Facebook that we haven't met with God that day. Really, if I asked you, what's the one thing you would want more than anything else for your spouse? It would be, I think, that they meet with God every day. I think that you would... And a lot of times what we'll do is, because biblically and naturally, women are more spiritual than men. So a lot of times what a man will do is, they will use their wife to hear from God. They will let their wife be the spiritual one, the one that meets with God, that serves in church, that gives it all. And they'll just kind of you know, grab a hold of her coattails, so to speak, and try to get close to God that way. Um, a lot of people, they'll come to church on Sunday to hear from God from their pastor, and that's it. And they wait till next Sunday, and it's the same thing. But I want to encourage us today on how important it is to hear from God every single day. And I use the, the, the title, Holy Spirit Friendship, intentionally, because I want to tell you how valuable it is to meet with God as your friend every single day of your life. I, I saw somebody put on Facebook last week. They said, um, if you find that perfect friend, they said that um, that person will want to serve you as soon as you see them. They will create whatever it is you desire. And when you walk away, they'll pray, for, they'll pray for you. And if you meet that person, you've either found the perfect friend or you've just been through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. One or the other. That's what, that's what it is. Anyway, so uh, James 2.23 says this. Abraham believed God and he was called a friend of God. Uh, before I get into my three points today, let me ask you a true or false question. True or false. Last week, uh, Mark called me on the phone from an unknown number. And he said, yo man, what's up? And I said, who is this? And he said, it's me. And I said, me who? True or false? False. Why is that? I recognize his voice because he's my friend. Uh, last week, true or false, my wife calls me up. Hey, honey, it's me. And it's a, it's a different number. And I said, honey, who is this? Honey, it's me. And I said, who are you? True or false? False. I know her voice. I know her voice. I know her voice. If you want to get to know the voice of God, you must spend time with God. You can't try to um, find his voice only when things are going wrong in your life. Only when you have a major decision to make. 
only when you're going through a huge obstacle, then you want to try to hear from God and you'll go to your pastor and you'll go to your spouse and you'll go to all these. If you would meet with God every single day, I promise you, you would begin to recognize the voice of your friend, the Holy Spirit. The point I want to make is this. I can teach you how to hear from God, but I cannot have a personal relationship with God for you. That's what I can't. That's what I don't want to do. I can teach you all day long. It's my job as your pastor to teach you how to hear from God. But I cannot have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ for you. And the problem I think that we have is, is we only see God as Savior. We get saved and then that's it for the rest of our earthly life. But there's so much more to being in relationship with Him than just getting saved. He wants to be our friend. Everybody say friend. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the perfect friend. So, because the title of the sermon is Holy Spirit Friendship, all three points start with the letter F. Now, for some of y'all, you haven't seen this many Fs since you were at Myrtle Beach High School a few years back. But, these are going to be good Fs. Everybody say good Fs. Good F. Okay, good Fs. Ready? Holy Spirit Friendship, three points. These are three reasons why I meet with God. Now, there's a thousand reasons you can meet with God, but I'm here to tell you uh, with some, a little bit of level of transparency why I meet with God every single day. The three reasons that I must spend time with God. In fact, I thought this. My first thought was, you know what? In order to show them how valuable it is to meet with God every day, I'm going to go three days, or I, I'm going to go a week without meeting with God. I'm going to go a week and not spend any time with Jesus. Then I'm going to hang out with y'all. And you see if there's a gigantic difference in me when I hang out with God or when I don't hang out with God. Y'all wouldn't be answering the phone if I called you. You would be running from me. You'd be begging me, John Paul, please spend time with Jesus. Please get away from us. You're horrific. Last week, Micah asked me, she said, um, who are you without God? And I just started listing off things. I mean, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. I'm this. Thank God, thank Him that I have Him every single day. Because you would not like me if I did not meet with Jesus. Don't ever, if you think there's a chance that I did not meet with Jesus that day, don't talk to me. Don't call me. Don't ask me any questions. Because I would not be a nice person. And I want you to have that same value in your life. I want you to realize, I, I would almost um, uh, urge you to try it just every day from now to the rest of this year. Just try it every day for 10 minutes Spending time with God, read a scripture, just sit there and listen to the whispers and see if things don't change dramatically in your life, okay? Three F's, here we go. Number one is this, for fatherhood. For fatherhood. Um, we cannot allow our earthly father and how we were raised to taint our view of our heavenly father. One of the things that has shocked me as a pastor, I mean shocked me, is all the different horror stories I've heard concerning how people were raped. I had no idea that so many people had awful fathers. In fact, the, word, the most difficult people to pastor are ones that had an awful childhood because they're always fighting against authority. They always think someone's out to hurt them and get them. You cannot let the way your earthly father treated you taint the view of your heavenly father. You have no idea how many people I've, I've spoken to since being a pastor who were sexually abused, mentally abused, physically, emotionally abused, verbally abused, and they always think they're the only one. Everybody, for some reason I've talked, they always think that nobody else in church has gone through what they went through. Let me tell you, a lot of people were raised like that, unfortunately. 
Uh, there was an era years ago, it was probably when my dad was real young, or even when my grandfather was young, in which fathers here in America, they didn't hug their children. They didn't pick their children up and swing them around and affirm them verbally. They didn't tell people, they didn't brag on their kids, tell people how great their kids are. They didn't tell them how much they love them. There was no um, verbal um, love being shared. There was no affirmation. There was no, that fathers didn't sit their kids on their lap and just talk to them. There was a time where it wasn't like that. So people grew up and they had this mentality, well, I guess that's how God is. That's not true at all. Now, the pendulum has swung far to the other end. Now, parents, nowadays, their child, as soon as their child's born, the baby looks like it belongs in a Sigourney Weaver alien movie. And the parents are like, oh, isn't she beautiful? She's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. And the dad's taking pictures. Oh, he's the best child. And look at my son. And you're thinking, oh, my God. I hope that baby grows into its nose. You know, what in the world are we doing? Okay, that's how God is with y'all, okay? He sees y'all, and he thinks you're the most beautiful, wonderful thing. He cannot wait to spend time with you every single day. He just wants to hear your voice. He longs to talk to you and affirm you and tell you how much he loves you. So don't let your earthly father taint the view of your heavenly father. The best picture we see of God the Father in the Bible is in Luke 15. The prodigal son uh, made some awful mistakes. He blew his inheritance. He hung out with the wrong people. He gambled. He cheated. He lied. And he finally decided to do something that forever changed the course of his death. He made a decision that forever changed his future. It was the greatest choice he ever made. In Luke 15, 18, he said this, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my father. Let me tell you, the answer to daily victory in your life, daily victory, not weekly victory every Sunday, but daily victory is to get up in the morning and go straight to your father. Get up in the morning and go straight to your father. If you want daily victory now, if you want God to help you prepare for the meetings you have, if you want God to give you peace, if you want God to give you wisdom, if you want God to build your faith, you must spend time with Jesus daily. Now the prodigal son, he got up and he was walking towards his dad. And the Bible says in verse 20, when he was still a long way from home, his father saw him and ran to his son and hugged him and kissed him and spun him around. It's very interesting, this, this, this scripture here, because there's no other place in the entire Bible where we see a picture of God running. Nowhere. In fact, if you study culture 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world, it was very, very, very unheard of for a man of this statue to run. It just did not happen. It would be similar to if you were at Coastal Grand Mall and you're 30 years old and your father's 50 or 55 years old and in the middle of the mall he just starts screaming how much he loves you and he's pointing to everybody saying, that's my son, it's the greatest son in the world. As embarrassing as that is, is what it was like for this father to take off running. My question to you is this, who is God running to in this scripture? Is he running to the Apostle Paul who wrote half the New Testament? Is he running to the great prophet like uh, Moses, Elijah? He's running to one of his children who made tons and tons of mistakes but decided to repent. The father was walking on the boundary line of his property every single day just waiting to see if his son was going to come home. In verse 21, here's what the son said. He said, Father, I've sinned against you. He should have stopped right there. But he added something that shows us that there was another voice that was entering into his mind, and it was the voice of the accuser. 
And he said, Dad, I don't even deserve to be your son. The father wouldn't hear of it. He said, son, you've always been my child. You're always going to be my child. And nothing you ever do will change the fact you're a part of this family. Here's what I want to tell you about this. is God is waiting every single morning for you to take one step toward him so that he can come running toward you as the perfect heavenly father that he is. Number one was for fatherhood. Number two is this. I meet with God every day for favor. For favor. I enjoy getting preferential treatment from God. I enjoy God being on the lookout to bless me, to open up the right doors. All through the Bible, all through the Bible, there are so many supernatural stories of where God poured out His favor on people after they met with Him and hung out with Him. They'd spend some time with God, and sure enough, the next day a door would open in their life. The right person would come across their path. A miracle would be delivered. A prayer would be answered. Favor in the Bible means this, to assist, to provide with special advantages, and to receive preferential treatment. I can promise you, if you will spend time with God daily, He will give you some preferential treatment in your life. Um, I, I found this story about this guy who lived in Europe. This was years ago before there were planes. And he wanted so bad to come to America, and so he saved up all of his money, months and months of saving, he finally was able to buy his ticket to board the ship that was coming across seas. And uh, before he did, he had a few dollars left, so he decided to get a big old bag and fill it with cheese and crackers so he'd have something to eat uh, while the two and, a, two and a half weeks of the ship was traveling to America. So he gets on board, he's very excited, and he begins to meet people and make friends. And the only unusual thing about the trip was is that every night they'd ring a bell and there would be this huge banquet they'd have in the middle of the ship. Everybody would come in wearing their nice clothes, sitting down, eating the fancy food. I mean, there was, there was uh, finger foods, there was hors d'oeuvres, they'd bring out gourmet meals, there was desserts all around. But this man would sit in the corner of the top deck every night, open up his bag and eat his cheese and crackers. That's all he had. This went on night after night. He could smell the food. He could see the servers bringing it in at dinner time. He wanted so bad to be in there, but he didn't have enough money. He could hear them laughing, talking, and having fun while he sat outside and ate his cheese and crackers. Finally, towards the end of the trip, it was two or three nights away from the boat reaching America, a friend that he had made on the ship came up to him and started to talk to him and said, Listen, man, um, I don't want to get in your business. I, um, I don't really know how to say this, but I'm dying to ask you this question. you got to tell me. Why is it every single night we're all in here eating these fancy foods, enjoying the gourmet meals, and you're by yourself on the top deck eating cheese and crackers? The guy hung his head. He said, man, I don't know what to tell you. I just didn't have enough money. I saved up all I had for the ticket to get on the boat. I didn't have enough for the food. His friend grabbed his arm and said, what are you talking about? Didn't you realize the food was included in the ticket. Your meals have already been paid for. And I think about in our Christian life how many people don't realize the price has already been paid for more than just salvation. It's not just get saved and then go through earth doing whatever you want to do. The price has already been paid for you to have God's peace, you to have God's wisdom, you to have God's protection, you to have God's uh, a miracle working power and for you to have God's favor it's already been included in the ticket Jesus has already paid the price 
Galatians 3.9 says that people of faith are blessed and favored by God. Okay, how do you get faith? You get faith, the Bible says, by hearing the word of God. Here's what I'm telling you. When you meet with God and you listen, he'll pour out his favor in your life. That's one of the reasons I got to meet with God. Um, I have about 200 stories at home I've written down from God's favor in my life. But the one I want to tell you, I've told you before, but it's my favorite, favorite story. And that is um, after Mark had been serving here for about a year or so, serving God, uh, we went up to New York for a trip. And uh, we were walking around New York, and we just were walking around looking, taking pictures, and we ended up right in front of Madison Square Garden, just standing there. And it was my birthday, and he said, I got your birthday present. And I was like, you know, we're in the middle of the street. What, is, what are you going to give me? And he opened up his wallet, and he pulled out tickets to Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden. We're standing right there. The show's about to start. He's like, surprise. So we walk into Madison Square Garden, and because Mark's cheap, we got the nosebleed tickets. They were at the very, the very top. And um, you couldn't tell if it was Billy Joel or Billy Martin or Billy Clinton. But either way, we were there. We were there to have fun. So we, we were, were looking for our seat, and we decided to go to the concession stand and get some drinks and popcorn and stuff. And all of a sudden, this guy in a very well-to-do suit walks up to us, and he says, where are your seats at? I said, well, you know, they're, the nosebleed way up top. I thought he was going to show us where to go. He said, would y'all like seats down front? And I said, um, I bet you want us to give you these tickets first, and then you're going to take us down front, aren't you? He said, no, no, you can hold on to your tickets. I'll escort you down front. It seemed really weird, and we were about to go through like a long, dark hallway, so I put Mark in front, and I followed <laughs> behind him. And um, this guy walks us down a flight of stairs, another flight of stairs, through some security, through some more security, through another rope. And finally, we were the second row from the front of the Billy Joel stage, 20 feet away. We're taking pictures, meeting the band, hanging out. Then the guy told us that, that seated us, he said, when they start playing New York State of Mind, y'all can walk all the way up to the stage. And we just stood there shot. And then the guy walks away. And we're sitting there 20 feet away from the front row, watch the whole show right there. Afterwards, I told Mark, and I've told him 10 times since then, that was the favor of God in our life. And to be honest, that was the favor of God in my life. It happened to him because he was with me, and I told him, I said, you go to any concerts, you better bring me with you to concerts if you want God's favor. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, that was the favor of God. There was no other answer. No other answer. They didn't take our ticket. They didn't ask us any questions. They walked us and sat us right down on the front stage. I was thinking, if I was part of the Forbes family, or if my last name was Trump, or if I was part of the Rockefeller family, I would get special advantages in life. I could go places, people would treat me well, doors would open for me, things would happen. Okay, listen, we are part of a much more high family than any of those that I mentioned. We're part of the family of God. Your father owns the cattle on a thousand hill, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Here's the point. I expect special treatment not because of who I am, but because of whose I am. Amen. And when you start spending time with God, it does something to you. When you spend time with God, it just it's something inside of you says, I'm supposed to be blessed. Something inside of you says, I'm supposed to have great relationship. Something inside of you says, I'm not supposed to you know, be able to not pay my bills and not make it. Whenever you spend time with God, there's something about realizing that you're a child of the creator of the universe. 
So I spend time with God daily for fatherhood, two for his favor, and here's the third one. I spend time with God for forgiveness. Amen. Forgiveness is a daily thing. And let me, let me explain this uh, the way I see it, okay? Um, I enjoy repenting daily because when I repent, God changes me. I don't change myself. I'm not who I am because I worked to try to fix me and make me great, anything like that. Um, I am who I am because I spend time with God and I tell Him the things that I'm struggling with. And I tell Him the things that I'm not good at. And I tell Him the things that I'm weak in so that He can pour out His, His power in me and so that He can forgive me. Because the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He'll forgive us of our sins. But here's the key. If. If is a huge word in the Scripture. A lot of people stop confessing their sins. And so that means they stop seeing it as sin. When you stop confessing it sins, here's what happens to you. And I've seen it so many times and I don't ever want to see it in my life. When we stop confessing our sins, we begin to think that we're better than other people. And we get easily offended and we live with unforgiveness and bitterness in our heart because we subconsciously think this, I wouldn't have done that. What they did, how they hurt me, I would have never made that decision. I'm better than them. I don't make that kind of mistakes. I would never do what they did. Okay, when you stop confessing your sins to God daily, you begin to develop that attitude. And then you get offended and you get, have unforgiveness in your heart because someone didn't meet an expectation that you had. Let me tell you something. You have offended somebody who has never done you wrong and you've offended that man so many times. He's the perfect father and you've offended him thousands of times and now you're going to be upset because this person offended you? Obviously, you've stopped confessing your sins to God because you think you're better than that person who has hurt you. I intentionally confess my sins to God so that I don't ever put myself on a pedestal and think, man, I can't believe they did that to me. Do you know what? I've done something worse than them to God. What they did to me that hurt me, I've done something ten times worse to God. So if He can forgive me, then I can forgive them. Um, I want to make a statement that I hope sticks out in your mind forever. I think the most important statement of the day, and that is this. Um, God cannot punish you for your sins because He already punished God cannot punish for your sins because He already punished Jesus. You know, we're very good at recognizing the devil's voice when the devil says things like, don't go to church, um, snort cocaine. You, you snort cocaine or... Is that how you do cocaine? Snort. You don't smoke it, do you? You snort it? None of y'all know. Good job. Just checking. Just checking to make sure. Checking to make sure. Just making sure. Um, we recognize the devil's voice when he says to steal things from work. We, we know that. It's hard for us to recognize the devil's voice when he says this. You better not meet with God today. He's mad at you. God cannot forgive you for what you did. You better not go to him today. God, if you, God's, gonna, he, God's ready to punish you why would you want to meet with him? He's wanting to punish you. Listen, he cannot punish you ever for a single sin you commit if you're in a relationship with Jesus because Jesus has already been punished for you. He cannot, God cannot punish two people for the same crime. He's already punished Jesus for everything you've done and everything you're going to do. Yes, there are earthly consequences, but the New Testament tells us when we repent, God can even lessen our consequences on earth. But don't ever, 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 ever think that God is wanting to punish you for something you have done 
Jesus did not just die for your forgiveness. He died for your punishment. He's already been punished. You cannot ever be punished by God for your sin. And just me saying that, I know some of y'all don't even, you can't even fathom what I'm saying. You can't even understand that. Um, there's a, a guy that comes to church here, an older man, much older man. And uh, he doesn't live here. He lives up north. But when he's in Myrtle Beach, he's always in church. It took him four or five decades to get back in church. He was there at church when he was a young boy. And then until he came to church here in his 60s or 70s, he had never been to church since he was a young boy. And here's why. Uh, he told me, he said, and, and, and he said that um, when he was a kid, that the priest would line him and the other boys up and would just beat them until blood came pouring down their legs. Just beat them. And the priest would say this, this is God's wrath for you. This is what God thinks about you. This is God wanting to punish you. Nothing could be more demonic, satanic, and evil. And don't allow some satanic yo-yo sent by the devil to stop you from meeting with God who loves you, who wants to pour out his favor on your life, who wants to be a perfect father, and he wants to forgive you. Don't ever let some idiot in some church pretending to be called by God ever stop you from meeting with our Father. God cannot punish you for your sins because he's already punished Jesus. True or false question for you. Um, many years ago when my daughter Sayla was really little, we were in a pool and uh, she was wearing her floaties to keep her above water. And I specifically instructed her, I said, Sayla, do not take off your floaties. Um, true or false, I was talking to somebody at the pool and she took off her floaties and jumped in the deep end. And she, her head came above water for two seconds for her to scream out, Daddy, help! And then I said, that's what you get. And then I kept talking to the person next to the pool. True or false? Okay. But that's exactly what y'all think God does to you. That's exactly how you view God. You've done this awful thing. You completely disobeyed. God specifically told you what to do. You specifically did the opposite thing. And then you think now when you're in need of favor, help, forgiveness, you think God says, that's what you get. That is not how God is. That is not the perfect father that we serve. In Genesis chapter 2, it's the story of God creating Adam and Eve. God created Adam and Eve for friendship. Everybody say friendship. friendship. Say fellowship. fellowship. Say family. family. Man, there's a lot of F's today, isn't there? God created them for fellowship, for friendship, for family. That's all God ever wanted, the beginning of humanity. And that's all he's ever going to get, by the way. If you read Revelation, that's all he gets in the end is a family. And God created them to spend time with them. And every single, the Bible says that in the cool of the day, they would hear the voice of God. And I can picture God calling out, Adam, Eve, and they wake up, they see God there, and they're so excited. They say, what is it? God said, you ready to, me to show you something? They say, yeah, show us. So they go on a walk through the woods, and they end up at this place where there's a, uh, like the side of a mountain, and, and water's falling off of it crashing under the rocks below. And they say, what is it? And God said, it's a waterfall. Isn't it beautiful? And, and Adam and said, oh, it's so beautiful. God said, I did this for you. This for you. And they go swimming and they have fun. And then the next day, God's walking. Adam, Eve, they were so excited to hear that voice. And they jump up out of bed and they say, what is it today? God said, I'll show you. It's a surprise. You're going to love it. And they go walking through the garden and they come to a tree and there's oranges hanging off the tree. And God 
pulls two of them off and he, he shows them how to peel it and he hands it to them. He says, take a bite of this. And Adam and Eve bite into that orange and it's so sweet and juicy. And Adam says, what is it? God said, it's an orange. Adam says, I know what color it is, God, but what is it? God said, it's an orange. Adam says, God, I know. And Eve says, honey, I'll explain it to you later. And, you know, just like, and so, so they enjoy that time together. And then the next morning, Adam, Eve, and they couldn't wait to hear that voice. They jump up out of bed and God says, oh, you're going to love the surprise I have for you today. Follow me. And they go, they go walking down a trail and they go hiking another mile or two. And they end up at this area where there's, there's, these, there's hundreds of these um, huge gray creatures. They have long noses and big ears. And, and Eve is laughing. Eve says, oh, God, they're so funny looking. God says, yes, I made them for your enjoyment. I made them for you. Adam says, what are they called? And, and if you read the Bible, the Bible says that God told Adam to name the animals. And so God says, oh, Adam, what do you want to call it? Adam says, how about an elephant? God said, I like it. We'll call it an elephant. And every day, this is what their life was like. The greatest sound Adam and Eve ever heard was not the sound of the waterfall as the water crashed against the rocks. It was not the sound of the lions and tigers roaring through the night. It wasn't even the sound of the wind rushing through the trees. The greatest sound they ever heard was the voice of God Almighty. Until one another voice came creeping into the garden. A voice they had never heard before. You'd think they would have recognized there was a big difference between this voice and God their father. But the snake came in in Genesis 3.1 asked the woman, did God really tell you not to eat the fruit from... Did God really say that you're forgiven for what you've done? Did God really say that He wants to be your father? Did God really say that He has favor He wants to give to you? You? Eve said, yeah, that's, that's what God said. He said, not to eat from the fruit of the tree. In verse 4, the snake's so subtle. The snake said, what God said, it's not true. It's not true. You don't need to believe that. Just go about your life. Go about, you don't need to hear from God. You don't need to meet with God. All the things He told you, it's not true. It's not of any value. And so Adam and Eve are talked into disobeying God, they've been deceived, now they're ashamed. And in verse 9, just like every day, God calls out, Adam, Eve, Adam, Eve, where are you? Adam? And the saddest word, that God ever heard. In verse 10, I heard your voice, but I was scared. I was afraid. So I did. No, 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 no. You hid from me? My voice? Everything I've done for you? I gave you all of this. 
I've given you everything. All I wanted to do was hang out with you. All I wanted to do was have a relationship. Why would you be afraid of me? If I'd done something, why would you not want to hear my voice? What do you think I'm going to say? Why would you do this? In the next scripture, God, holy anger in verse 11, who told you that? Who told you you should be afraid of me? God knew immediately that Satan himself had been whispering lies. The reason we don't meet with God, if I really wanted to peel back every single layer, I could prove the reason we don't meet with God is because of sin. Sin separates us from God. Here's the good news. Jesus restored that relationship on the cross. Now you can meet with God anytime you want. I want to close with a, a true story that um, I read from a, a, a pastor friend of mine. He preached a similar uh, sermon like this many years ago, maybe one or two decades ago, on how to hear from God. At the end of the sermon, this, this advertising executive rushed the stage and went to the pastor. And he said, um, Pastor, I heard your sermon. I enjoyed it. But I think that it's a little bit, you know, I, I just don't think you understand what kind of world we live in to where you think people actually have time to meet with God every day. And the pastor said, well, he said, to be honest with you, I'm not here to compare our, our schedules but anything that I think is valuable, I do, and I think that you do it as well. If you think it's valuable, you do it. The man, the, the business executive, he said, well, you know, we'll see. I don't know. So he left. A few weeks went by after church. The same advertising executive comes up to the stage and says, hey, pastor, I want to tell you something. Can you come to my house for dinner? You and your wife, come over to our house. So they did. The husband and wife were very good hosts. At the end of the meal, the advertising executive brought the pastor into their Florida room, their Carolina room. He said, you see that big, comfortable rocking chair right there? The pastor said, yes, I do. He said, that day you preached that sermon and we had that conversation after church. Something inside me told me to do this, and so I went out and bought the most comfortable rocking chair I could find. I put it here in my Florida room, and this is my meeting place with God. Every day since that sermon, I've spent 10 minutes reading a scripture, drinking a cup of coffee, and just listening to the whispers. I just wanted you to know. The pastor congratulated him, and they ended the night. Several months went by. The executive comes to the pastor again after church, says, listen, uh, I feel like I'm supposed to leave my firm and come work at your church full-time to help you build the church. The pastor said, uh, you know, first of all, we don't have any money to pay you anything. Second of all, where did this come from? The advertising executive said, well, I don't need any money. I'm incredibly successful. I've saved up a lot of money. And this came from me sitting in that chair every day for the past several weeks. I keep hearing the whisper, I'm supposed to leave my firm and come help you build your church. The pastor said, because this is a very unusual whisper, you need to pray about it a few more weeks. He did. Three weeks later, came to the pastor, said, I've resigned last week. I'm here to work for you full time for free. The executive was so good with people and problem solving and being a man of options 
that it helped the church grow. After three years, the church grew to the point where they could then start paying the man. He became full-time staff on the church. After several years of doing that, maybe eight or nine years later, he goes to the pastor one day. They became great friends by now. He said, I feel like I'm supposed to move to Colorado with my family, go back into business, and give 80% of my income to a friend of mine who's starting a church in Colorado. I'm supposed to help him. The pastor said, where did this come from? He said, it came from the chair. Every day I'm in that chair and I meet with God. And for the past several weeks, I keep hearing God tell me, move to Colorado, go back in business, give 80% of your income to your friend's church. The pastor said, I trust what you hear while you're sitting in that chair. You have my blessing. So the executive packed up his family, sold his house, moved to Colorado, went back in business, began giving his friend's church and helped him build this church with 80% of his income. Many years went by. One day this man was in his chair like normal. He just spent his 10-minute meeting with God and he opened up his laptop to check his email and he read an email that he was hoping he'd never get. It was from his doctor and it told him that the cancer in his body had completely filled the inside of his body and he had a few more weeks to live. He closed his laptop and he stayed in his chair for eight hours that day and just prayed and listened and prayed and listened. God did not heal him of cancer. After a few weeks, about three or four days before he passed away, he told his wife how he had the strength and courage and faith to get through this most difficult time of their life because of the meetings that he had had in that chair every day. It came to the point where a medical team had to come in and pick his body up out of that chair. The wife and the family asked the original pastor, the very first one that gave the sermon on hearing from God, to do the eulogy in the service. After it was over, the pastor goes to the wife and he says, I have a question for you. What are you going to do with that chair? She smiled and said, we're going to keep it in the family. She said, I saw my husband grow tremendously into a mighty man of God simply by sitting in that chair for 10 minutes every day and just listening to God. She said he heard hundreds and hundreds of whispers from the creator of the universe in that chair. And we want to pass it down to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren so they can do the same thing that he did. Don't ever underestimate a 10-minute meeting with Jesus Christ every morning. 